Today I want to talk to you a little bit about priorities. And I want you, uh, just as we begin, just kind of do an exercise with me. I want you to, just in your mind, you don't have to write it down or say it out loud, but just think of your top three priorities in your life. And, uh, and even put them in order. So just take a moment, think about your priorities. Okay? Now I want you to make a second mental list, and I want you to think about this past week, and just think about an average week, and I want you to organ think about how you organized your waking hours. What did you spend the most time on? Do those two th- do those two lists match? And I know that I know that's kind of it's kind of, that second list may be kind of skewed because uh, many of us would probably say, well, God's a priority, my family's a priority, work's a priority, things like that, and uh, and maybe. Work took a whole bunch of your time. Maybe it took the most of your time if you're in the workforce. Um, and, and maybe it kind of skewed things because we, we probably don't work just for the fun of it. Otherwise, we'd be volunteers. Um, maybe you're doing it because you want to take care of some of those other priorities like your family. I realize that. But I want you to do that exercise because I want you to realize that our stated priorities, the things that we'll tell people at church, things that we'll even think in our own minds, our stated priorities are oftentimes different from our lived priorities. Now, what is a priority? A priority is something that we organize our life around. It's something that's important to us. And so those things that have a higher priority, they have more weight in our lives. And so it's going to take precedence, and those other things in life kind of get reorganized around it. Now, we're going to look at Jonah chapter three, uh, chapters 3 and 4 today, so go ahead and be headed there. And in this last passage in Jonah, we're going to see that this prophet started out with some pretty misplaced priorities. Now, Jesus told us what our priorities should be. What did he say? He said, Seek ye first what? The kingdom of God and all these other things to be added to you. So Jesus says our first goal, our first priority should be the kingdom of God. That should have been Jonah's priority, but it wasn't. And as, as we look at this stark contrast between God's compassionate forgiveness and Jonah's stubborn rebellion, I want to highlight some common misplaced priorities in Christians' lives. So look at Jonah chapter 3 and verse 10. Really, I think it should be uh, lumped with chapter 4. I think they kind of made a a bad break in in the chapter breaks. But look at chapter 3, verse 10. Now remember, Jonah has just gone through. He's he's preached. uh, In 40 days, Nineveh's going to fall. God's going to judge you. The, The Ninevites from the king all the way down, they all began to repent. They put on sackcloth and ashes. And uh, verse 10, when God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. The Lord said, Do you have good reason to be angry? Then Jonah went out from the city and said, East of it. Now I just want to pause here for a second, because I've, I've read Jonah I don't know how many times, and I've actually preached out of this passage a couple of times, and I had never noticed, even though it's right here in front of me, and now I can't see anything except it, but Jonah, when he is praying this, that he wished God would strike him dead because he knew that God was compassionate, he knew the people would repent, he's in Nineveh when he's doing that. 
Can you imagine a preacher in a revival saying, God, I don't want to be here. This is why I ran from you. I just wish I wish you'd kill me rather than see all those people turn to you. I mean, this was happening while he was in Nineveh. Uh, look at what it says in uh, verse 5. Then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. There he made a shelter for himself and, and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. So the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew up over Jonah to be shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. But God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day, and it, and it attacked the plant, and it withered. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all of his soul to die, saying, Death is better to me than life. Then God said to Jonah, Do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, I have good reason to be angry, even to death. Then the Lord said, You have compassion on the plant for which you do not work, and which you not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between the right hand and left, as well as many animals? Now, Jonah had all kinds of problems in this text. And I think the first and the biggest problem is that he did not want, let, he did not want to let God be God. He didn't want to let God be God. I said he wanted to hold on to his pet ideas. Now, we talked about this in, in the last couple of weeks about uh, different reasons that Jonah may have fled to Tarshish instead of going to Nineveh. You know, there may have been some racism going on. He may have thought that these Assyrians were too bad to save. He may have thought they were beyond God's grace. Uh, it very well could be that, uh, I believe it was Amos was a prophet before Jonah, and he had prophesied that uh, Assyria would be God's rod of correction to Israel. And you remember Jonah, he's, he's, a, he's a nationalist. He's all patriotic. And maybe he, he didn't want uh, Nineveh, he didn't want these Assyrians to repent so that they couldn't be uh, the, 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 the rod of correction to Israel. Those may have been contributing factors, but really they were quite minor because you'll notice in verse 2 that Jonah says that the biggest issue was that he thought more of his idea of God than he thought about God himself. He wanted to hold on to his idea of God instead of let God be God. Because his God was a comfortable God. When he looked at things, he, he, wanted, he wanted the Ninevites to perish. He wanted them to suffer judgment. And his God would have done that. His God would have judged uh, uh, Israel's enemies. He would have said, God bless Israel and nowhere else. I mean, he was, that's, who, that's the kind of person he was. And his type of God, his idea of God would have done that. Now he knew God's real character. If you'll notice verse 2 again, towards the end he says, I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Now that's almost the exact same wording that God uses about himself in the book of Exodus. Chapter 34, you remember uh, Moses says, God, I want to see your glory. And he says, well, you, can't, uh, you, you can see me as I pass by. Remember that? And he puts him in the cleft of the rock and, and covers him with his hand as, as he goes by. And as that, in, in that scene, God describes himself almost exactly this way. He's a compassionate God, a loving God. But listen, there are people in Bible-believing, Bible-teaching churches that just like Jonah, they have a different idea of God than the God that's in the Bible. They worship a God who's just like them. Their idea of God dislikes the same people that they dislike. You ever notice anybody like that? I mean, their idea of God, he or she, 
has a problem with the same countries that they have a problem with. They have a, the, the, he or she has, has a problem with the same race that those people do. Maybe he's just as legalistic and uptight as them. Maybe just the opposite. And, and, and their idea of God is, is loving and as non-judgmental as them. They have made God in their image. But the character of God, as it's described in verse 2, is very different than people have today. A lot of people go to one extreme or the other. They say, God is such a cruel God. He's just looking for somebody to smite. He's just wanting to, to drop the hammer on somebody. He gets pleasure from sending people to hell. Or on the other, other extreme, they say, no, God's not like that at all. He's like a, just a kindly old grandpa. And I've got a picture of God in my house, and he, he's got a big flowing white beard. And, 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 and you know how grandparents are. I, I always loved it when I was a, a great kid, but now that I have a kid of my own, I see how my parents are and how Scarlett's parents are. And I, it just drives me nuts because it's like, that is not the person that raised me. And probably you experience the same thing. Because grandparents are just like, oh, that fits so cute. Oh, they're kicking. Oh, that's just a phase, man. If, if we would have done that, you know what would have happened, right? If the grandkids do it, it's all right. And a lot of people think of God that way. Well, I'm, I'm not doing what I should be doing. I'm sinning, but you know, God, He just loves me an awful lot. He'll let me. He'll let it slide. A lot of people have a skewed view of God. Either God won't hold them accountable, or He holds everybody super accountable. But God is kind of in the middle there. He holds people accountable, but He is eager to forgive. He's eager to forgive. He's looking for the opportunity to. And He's not just going to willy-nilly forgive people. There's a requirement, and that requirement is repentance. If you'll notice in chapter 3, verse 10, the Ninevites showed that they had repented. How do we know? Because the Bible says that they had changed their ways. They had changed their ways. That's what true repentance is. It's when we have a change of heart. And consequently, we have a change of lifestyle. Those things that we once did, we don't do anymore. And, and so they had really repented, and that's what God's looking for. Jeremiah 18 lays out God's view. God said in, in Jeremiah 18, At one moment I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to uproot, to pull down, or to destroy it, bring calamity. If that nation against which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent concerning the calamity I plan to bring on it. See, God doesn't take pleasure in the death of the wicked. The Bible is very clear about that. And, and if you'll notice in, in Jonah chapter 4, um, right at the end of verse 2, he, says, he talks about God who relents concerning calamity. In other words, God's not looking for an opportunity to judge somebody. We, saw, we see it with Sodom and Gomorrah. You say, Pastor, Sodom and Gomorrah is a, is a place that God judged. He did. But you remember what happened when, when, Moses, uh, when Abraham said, now, you wouldn't destroy it if there were this many righteous people, would you? You remember that? He said, no, I wouldn't do it. Well, now, I may have spoken too hastily. What if there are ten less than what I said? You wouldn't do it then, would you? No, I wouldn't do it then. You remember, he just kept uh, opportunity after opportunity. He was looking for an opportunity not to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. In the book of Exodus, Moses is up on Mount Sinai getting the Ten Commandments. What are the Israelites doing? They're building a golden calf, having a party. They're worshiping it. And when, when Moses comes down and sees it, he's real mad, God's real mad, and God's going to judge him. Moses intercedes, and he doesn't do it. In the book of First uh, or Second Samuel, I can't remember which one it is, um, but David, he takes a census. 
You remember that? And, and it, it wasn't like just, hey, how many people do we have? It's look at my big army that, that I have. And, and I'm putting all my faith in this, in this army. And it displeases God. And, and, and God ends up sending uh, uh, basically a plague on the people. And after a while, He looks at it and He relents. He relents. He doesn't want to do it. Now, Jonah's prayer, his response to God, and his response to God's goodness, I never had never thought of this before. It reminds me of the older brother in the, par the parable of the prodigal son. You remember that story? And, and really, the, the, the parable of the prodigal son comes about because some people were acting like Jonah. The scribes and Pharisees saw Jesus eating with a bunch of people they didn't like, a bunch of sinners and outcasts and, and people that just don't belong in church in their in their mind and Jesus is eating with them and they and they get all upset and so Jesus tells this story about a younger son who goes off takes everything and goes off riotous living comes back home asks forgiveness and the older brother instead of being happy that is the, the, the younger son his younger brother has come back and is forgiven and is part of the family again instead of being happy he gets mad so the father, he throws a big party, and, and what's the brother doing? He stands out away from him. I'm not going in there. Dad's never even given me a, a goat to eat, much less killed the fatted calf. I'm not going into that party. That's what Jonah is doing. He was mad when he should have been celebrating. Jesus said that the angels of heaven rejoice. They celebrate when somebody comes to God. And here's a whole city, at least 120,000 people, some... Uh, some take that to mean that's how many kids there were talking about their innocence. They don't know the difference between right and left. And so they put the number up closer to 600,000. But at the very least, 120,000 people are coming to God. And Jonah doesn't even crack a smile. He's mad. And when we set ourselves up against what God's doing when He forgives somebody, we show that we don't really love that person. Because what did, what did Jesus say? He said the first and greatest commandments, love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And the second is like unto it, love your neighbors yourself. We want the forgiveness, but if we get mad because God's forgiven somebody else, we haven't loved them. We don't love them. Now Jonah pouted when he should have been celebrating. And that just begs the question, how do we respond when somebody that we don't like Somebody that's from a different race than us. Somebody that's from the wrong side of the tracks. Somebody that speaks a different language. Somebody that's wronged us. How do we respond when those when one of those people gets saved? Are we like that older brother who, who crosses their arms and they're, they're mad about it? So Jonah did not love these Ninevites. He wanted to see God destroy them. And his idea of an ideal God was a God that would do that. But God is going to be God whether we like it or not. And so Jonah goes and sets up camp outside the city. And he's, I think maybe he camps out there for about a month and a half, at least 40 days, to see if, if God's actually going to destroy him like he's hoping. He goes out, sets up, uh, sets up camp, and while he's waiting, God begins to work in his heart to show him how foolish and how wicked his heart is. And Jonah actually reminded me of two parables. Number one, prodigal son. Number two, that parable of, of the, the man who owed the king a whole lot of money. You remember that? And the king forgave him. And he was so grateful, so thankful. But then he goes out and somebody owes him just a little bit. 
and he, he gets after him, wants to throw him in prison. Remember that? He, he, he was a wicked man because he had been forgiven, but he didn't want to forgive somebody else. It wasn't too long before this Jonah was in the fish. He had been forgiven, and yet here he is not one the Ninevites to be forgiven. Anyway, so in, in this lesson, uh, in, in verses 5 and following, we see that we need to be focused more on others than on our comforts. We need to be more focused on other people than on our comforts. Because God gave Jonah an object lesson, starting in verse 6. And what was what was his object lesson? He let, a, he let a vine come up. Now, this is kind of surprising when you think about it. God is actually blessing him. Because the Bible says that, that, that it provided shade for him and, and it gave him relief. Because remember, this is out in the middle of the desert. There are all kinds of rocks around. And that's probably what he built a shelter out of. Walls and stuff like that. Protecting from the wind. But they don't have a whole lot of wood over there because it's the desert. And all the shrubs, all the bushes, stuff like that, uh, around that area probably would have been used for firewood already. So he, he may have had a little something to keep him shade when the sun was right over at its hottest, but probably not much. And that's why he was so happy when this vine came up because it's, it's great big leaves. We're, we're, we're giving him some shade. And, and, and it's, it's crazy to me that God is blessing this man when he's so far off base. He's still working through some things. But you know what? I'm glad he does that. Because sometimes I have to work through some stuff and I'm in the wrong place and, and I've got my heart in the wrong place and I've got a bad attitude and God doesn't just throw the clay away, so to speak. He, he, he keeps working on us. He'll, he'll keep blessing us. He'll keep, he'll, he'll keep showing us grace even when we're wayward, when we're working through some things. So, so he, it's, it's interesting, too, if you'll notice throughout the text, he appoints a fish, he appoints a plant, a vine, he appoints a worm, and he appoints an east wind. All these things serve to teach him a lesson. Now, when God sent this worm to kill the plant, what was Jonah's response? Not a rhetorical question. What was his response? He wanted to die. He got unhappy. Now, he was unhappy before because uh, the Ninevites had been spared. Now, this vine comes up. He's so happy with this vine. God, thank you for blessing me. The next day, the vine's dead. God, just kill me. He goes from one extreme to the other. And... And, and he wasn't so concerned about the vine because he didn't have any connection to the vine. It had only been there like a day. He was more concerned about his comfort than anything else. And that seems silly, but, but that's not a whole lot different than a lot of Christians are in a lot of churches. Because a lot of people get sidetracked from what's the most, what the most important thing is. Because what's the main thing of the church? The main thing is to make disciples. That's what Jesus said. He said, go, all, go into all the world and make disciples. Our job as Christians, as a New Hope Baptist Church family, is to go out and make disciples. We're to talk to people about Jesus. We're to see people come in and get saved and to grow. That's the main thing. But a lot of people get sidetracked from that in, in churches all over the world because they get more concerned about their preferences than reaching somebody for Christ. They'll say, you know, I just don't like that kind of music. So if, if my church is going to play that kind of music, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna have a fit in business meeting. I'm gonna I'm just gonna leave the church. If they're gonna do that at my church, yeah, they're reaching out, but it's just not the way it's always been done. We've never done it that way before. Some people would rather have the same old thing, just as long as it's comfortable, just as long as it's familiar, they would rather have the same old thing that's been done for the last 150 years than to have something change be a little unfamiliar and see people come to Jesus. Now, I've read, I've, I've not been able to verify it, I've, I've, I've researched it, I've tried to find this, and I haven't been able to find verification, so it may or may not be accurate. But I've read that in 1917, the Russian Orthodox Church held a convocation. Now, 1917 was a big year in Russia. Because a little ways from this, where this church, uh, from where this convocation was being held, a little ways from that, the Bolshevik Revolution was being planned. It was starting to get underway. And, and the nation was having problems. But this convocation, this church, did not meet together to pray. They didn't meet together to, to, to reach out and tell people about the Lord. They didn't reach out for any of that stuff. Instead, they got to arguing. And here's the thing that concerned them a whole lot, according to what I've read. Whether their candles should be 18 inches long or 22 inches long. 18 inches long, 22 inches long candles. Who cares? Cut them off in the middle, make it 20 inches long. Who cares? Does that really matter? No. But you know what happened? The Bolshevik Revolution happened. Communism took over in Russia. And it wasn't until just not not too many years ago that that fell. That is a misplaced priority. They were concerned about their preferences rather than those people who were around them. That's what's happening with gentlemen. That's what can happen to us when we get concerned about the color of the carpet, the style of music, all these, all these things that don't really matter in a hundred years. Don't matter this year. Now you would think that when God gave Jonah this object lesson, it would drive the point home, wouldn't it? But it didn't, it didn't get through to him. Uh, uh, even to the end of the book, if you look, uh, God sent this east wind to, uh, to, to, to make Jonah uncomfortable. Jonah says, just kill me. And then God said, verse 9, Do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, I have good reason to be angry, even to death. And the Lord said, You had compassion on the plant for which you did not work, which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city, in, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who not know the difference between the right hand and left hand, as well as many animals? And what was Jonah's response? I don't know. It doesn't continue. It just leaves us hanging. Did Jonah finally say, You're right, God. I think he did eventually. But I don't think he did there for a while because even at this point, God's still driving the point home. And when God wants to teach us something, He'll do what it takes to get the point across. Now, he asked Jonah the same question a couple times. Early on, he said, Do you have reason to be angry? He asked the same question here. Do you have good reason to be angry? First, do you have... Uh, a reason to be angry about my forgiveness. Now do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And God may need to teach us something repeatedly and in different ways. 
And isn't it easier if we just learn it right the first time? When God just talks to us, instead of having to go through the, the east wind and the sun beating down on us, but Jonah didn't do that. He, he, at the end of the book, he still has the attitude of not thy will, but mine be done. He was still refusing to, to heed God's word, to accept his correction. It reminds me of that kid. Uh, you probably all heard the story. The parents told him to sit down. He wouldn't do it. Sit down. Don't, he wouldn't do it. Sit down. He kept, kept telling him to sit down. Wouldn't do it. Finally, they forced him to sit down. And he finally said, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. That's the type of attitude Jonah had. He was at Nineveh in heart or in, in body, but he was in Tarshish in his heart. He was sitting down on the outside, but he was standing up on the inside. And boy, isn't it easy to take up stones and start casting them at Jonah? Be like, how could you? You're a prophet of God. How could you be having this kind of attitude? But I think if we're gut check on us, we can identify with it. How many times have you ever had an enemy do something to you and you prayed against him instead of praying for him? You ever prayed on your enemy? God smite him. God, I don't want you to kill him, but if you just let him have flat tire and get to work late and let that be the last time they could do it and they get fired and then they go to the poorhouse and they starve almost to death, Lord, that would be great with me. But Lord, I don't want you to, you know... Isn't that what we do? And isn't that silly? Not that's an exaggeration, but that's what we do. We don't pray for our enemies. Jesus said, love your enemies, pray for them. When, something, when somebody we don't like, when something bad happens, you ever go on, oh, yeah, I'm going to have to, can't put that on Facebook. But that, I can tell my spouse about it and we can high-five each other. Because that person who did me wrong, they did get a flat tire and it made me smile. I, I know I shouldn't preach it, but it just, it just made me feel good. You ever done that? I have. I've done it. Wasn't too long ago, news reports were filled with this stuff. When Osama bin Laden got killed, what happened? Celebrations in the street. People were, were cheering the death of a person who we have no indication of went to heaven. He was probably in hell right now. And there were people who were celebrating. And we're like Jonah a lot more than we like to think. Now, I, I believe, and I, we don't know who it was that wrote Jonah, I believe that Jonah wrote it. And I believe that he probably had a change of heart later on because he didn't have to write this. And I think this is an autobiographical work that highlights his change of heart. Or at least highlights what he did wrong so we don't do it too. And I think that he had a change of heart in the end. And he would not want us to be like him. And that's really a choice we have to make, isn't it? When we see people that we dislike, that are that are, that are our enemies, when we, when we see them get forgiven, when you hear about that person on death row that has a religious experience, you ever thought... I believe that when I see it. I don't believe that for a minute. They should just fry that sucker. Y'all are looking at me like you're innocent. But I've heard you all talk about this stuff before. When we see people that we dislike be forgiven, 
when, when God shows them grace and mercy, how do we react? Are, are, are we going to hold on to our idea of God and say, God, I just really wish you'd just drop the hammer on them? Or are we going to be overjoyed that that person who was once going to hell is now going to heaven? Are we going to hold on to our ideas? Or are we going to hold on to God? And as we go through our lives, as, as we plan for the future of our lives and of the, of the life of this church, are we only willing to do what's comfortable? Are we, are we willing to just do the things that we've always done, the things that are familiar? Are we going to get sidetracked in those things like the color of the carpet, the length of the candles, things that don't really matter? Our order of worship, the color of the walls, or are we going to keep the main thing the main thing? We sometimes say, God, I'll do it just so long as I'm okay with it. Just as long as I want to do it. That's not the way it works. And maybe you're just a little bit like Jonah and you have a wrong priority in one of these areas. And maybe God is speaking to you, even through this sermon today, just like He spoke to Jonah the first time and then He moved on to more extreme methods to get His, way, his, his message across. Maybe God's speaking to you saying, you know what? You are wrong in this area. Maybe it's something I've not even talked about, but you know some area in your life, some priority that you have that's not a godly priority. Correct your views. Learn the lesson the first time. Get your will in line with His because Jesus said, He told us what our priority should be. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Not the kingdom of New Hope. Not the kingdom of Braddock. His kingdom. And when we do that, we're going to see His kingdom grow. We're going to be overjoyed when people come into the kingdom. And isn't that the most important thing? That's what we're here for. Why don't you stand with me as the musician comes. And as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And in the quiet of this time, I just want you to consider your priorities. Maybe whenever I listed, uh, had you list those things in your mind, your top three priorities, maybe God wasn't even on there to begin with. Maybe He didn't even make the cut. Maybe you're not His child. If that's the case, you need to get that way today. You need to, you need to repent of your sin and put your faith in Him. Maybe you are a Christian and you still didn't make the cut. You're so concerned with family, work, hobbies. Things are not bad in and of themselves, but as I once heard a preacher say, good things become bad things when they keep you from the best things. Is your idea of God your priority? not the God of the Bible, but what you want God to be. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for Jonah. We thank you that he serves as an example to us. A lot of things to avoid. But we thank you that when we look in the page of Scripture, we don't see a bunch of stained glass saints that we cannot relate to, but we see people that have faults like us, 
to have the same attitudes as us, to have feet of clay. And we're thankful when we look at your interaction with them that you continue to work with them, that you show them grace even when they don't deserve it. And I ask that you show each of us grace as we muddle through this life, just trying to do the best we can, trying to live right. Help us to get our lives in line with what you want. Or if there's somebody here who's never been saved, I ask that you would draw them today and give them the courage to make that choice. In Jesus' name.